Hello and welcome to Two Bald Men and Friend, the show where we talk about issues and ideas using pop culture as the springboard. I'm your host, Joe, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex. Hello. And today we are joined by our friend, Amanda. Hello, you. Today we're talking about Netflix's You Season 2 and Toxic Relationships. So spoiler alert for Netflix's You. Sit back, relax, or if you're driving, please sit upright and continue to drive vigilantly. Wow, it's really hard to say Netflix's. Yeah, uh, and I, I don't think there's a better way to say that phrase. Yeah, I don't know. I've, I've struggled with this a lot being an Alex, and mm. the possessive of Alex is Alex's, mm. which could be its own name, like Alexis almost. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, I saw this thing online that said um, that they think maybe they named the show You so that when you were telling people what you were watching, you could be like, oh, I'm watching You, and it kind of sounds stalkerish. I hope that's why they did it. <laughs> That'd be so clever. For this past season, you could say, I'm watching You too. Ooh. So like, it's, like a, it's like a little back and forth. Oh. What are we going to do for You 3? I'm watching You 3. Ah, Like three people. So you could, th- that prediction, three people. <laughs> <laughs> Um, speaking of that, uh, Amanda, thank you for coming back. Um, yeah, happy to be back. You spoke uh, with us about the first season of You, and we listened to the tape, and you nailed what season two was going to be about. Yeah, I'm actually super excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my proudest moments. <laughs> and it's a big one, absolutely, to predict what's going to happen on a Netflix original. Mm-hmm. Especially one that's so different, yeah, from the book, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't know that there was. I you again, you brought it up on the first episode. I didn't know there was a book, and I didn't know there was a sequel to the book. Mm-hmm. So now my whole world is upside down. Look at us now. <laughs> yeah, nothing has changed. <laughs> um, so Amanda, uh, it has been a while. Um, so if you want to like update our listeners, maybe there's a fun story of something that happened recently. Yeah, something I'm really excited about, it's like ongoing, is um, around Thanksgiving time, I was asked to be involved in one of my best friend's weddings, Uh, so that'll be happening this fall, and it's actually one of our mutual friends, Becca, so I think that that's like my perfect thing to choose because I'm really excited, and I'm sure you guys are excited about it too. I know her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that'll be this fall, and I just booked my flight to Miami for her bachelorette party, so I can't wait to spend time with all of them. A destination bachelorette party? Yep. I thought you were leading up to where the wedding was. I was like, a destination wedding in Miami? That sounds crazy. (laughs) But the bachelorette party makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I'm excited. How involved are you in the bachelorette planning, or are you just attending? So far, just attending. I did kind of, you know, we we convened about, like, where um, we would be staying. So we all have, like, this Airbnb that we booked together. Um, But that's about it. I'm kind of just attending. Oh, I see. So... You, you, like, don't need someone who knows where to get giant cakes and people to jump out of. And, and you don't need a person to jump out of that cake if you got it? Just wondering. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll keep you posted. Uh, all right. Okay. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why? Did you did you <clears throat> have something in mind? No. Okay. Cool. Huh. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, but that is very exciting. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> and congratulations to Becca. Yes. Absolutely. And John, I guess. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, they they came to um, one of our shows at Serious Comedy, and I guess they were just, like, chit-chatting in the audience, and uh, they picked James Phillips, who was on the show for 
every brilliant thing. every brilliant thing and they were like what's something crazy and he's like uh someone just asked me to officiate a wedding and they were like oh do you know these people like really well like what's your relationship like and he was like it's the people sitting next to me <laughs> <laughs> at that same show uh my friend emily was there and she had just broken off her engagement. Ooh. So she was very resentful of the fact that <laughs> oh. other people were. Uh. <laughs> well, that's how it works. It's like Highlander. There yeah. can only be one. Exactly. Mm-hmm. She's better now. Oh, good. And she, what something I didn't know was that she was the one that broke off the engagement. Mm. I didn't ask for details right away. But it turns out she recognized that she deserved better than having to beg someone to propose to them. Rather, mm. like, have someone who wants to. Yeah. Like Holly in The Office. Mm, yeah, that's exactly. a good point. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This is just quality content. <laughs> <laughs> We're kind of already in the, the broad topic. Should we talk about the show a little bit? <laughs> yes, I think so. Amanda, could you give us a quick synopsis of what you, season two, is about? Sure. So um, it opens up with Joe Goldberg having moved to Los Angeles, kind of to escape his past, um, but also uh, to escape Candace, who has returned, as we saw in the previous season, um, as he's in Los Angeles, he gets this job, and uh, that's kind of where he meets his new romantic partner, Love. Um, and from there, uh, I don't know, just I guess a lot ensues, and in the end... Amanda, can you say hijinks ensue? Hijinks ensue. We've learned from previous <laughs> yeah. episodes that the best setup for a show is hijinks ensue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just a time-tested formula. Yeah, I love it, because <laughs> otherwise I'll be talking about the show for an hour with how much crazy stuff goes on. Um, they do heighten the stakes a lot, like, in terms of, like, how badly things go, Mm -hmm. um, compared to season one. Yeah, especially, I think, what was it, episode nine got incredibly insane. Um, I remember watching it, and my jaw just, like, kept hitting the floor. Mm -hmm. That's interesting, because I didn't think they were heightening enough relative to where they ended in season one, when season two started... There wasn't enough murder for me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just looking for the wrong things. Like, season one had a lot of killing for Beck. Mm-hmm. And then when he was starting over and trying to be better, uh, there just wasn't enough killing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's fair. I meant in terms of, like, you know, in season one, oh, no, Joe forgot a jar of pee in Peach's house. In season two, Joe gets his goddamn finger cut off (laughs) by a madman and has to race around L.A. to try to get his finger back. Mm -hmm. That was interesting. I agree. Do you you want to share your your rating? Yeah. uh, Overall, as an audience member, I gave it three stars. Um, I wasn't as engaged as I wanted to be. I also had this crazy prediction that didn't come true. And because I made the prediction, I suddenly wanted that to be true. Mm. So when it wasn't that, I was like, oh, I wanted Candace and Joe to fall in love with the same girl. And both of them mm. like overstock each other, keep one upping each other when the stalking and trying to sabotage each other with their relationship. And it wasn't that. Have you ever seen This Means War with Chris Pine and Tom Hardy and Reese Witherspoon? Yeah, and they're like spies. Yeah. Uh, go watch that movie. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's ex- it's exactly what you just described, and Tom Hardy's in it. So. And Chris Pine. And Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> 
So it's really a, a triple threat. Um, I'm going to give it a four as an audience member. Um, I like that I, you looked at your notes for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a blank, just a piece, blank of piece of paper. paper. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I gotta, just got to check it. Um, I, I definitely have issues with this show as a whole. Um, and it's, it's certainly not a perfect show. But I enjoyed watching it a lot. Um, I didn't mean to, but I binged the whole thing in one day. So I think that, at least for me, meant that I was at the end of every episode, just like, fuck, I have to watch the next one. <laughs> and then I did. Um, I kind of feel the same way. I think I would give it four stars. I definitely did not like this season as much as I enjoyed the last season. Uh, same with Joe. I think that this show did have a lot of flaws. Um, and actually, when I first started watching it, I hated it because it didn't really go along with the sequel that I was starting to read at the time, which I haven't finished yet, but they're completely different. Um, so I kind of didn't buy into it at first, but as I kept watching, I liked it more and more. And, and yeah, so while I still don't think it's a perfect show, I was really entertained by it. I thought that it carried itself well, um, and uh, I, I'm still looking forward to the next season. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with Amanda that I enjoyed season one a little bit more than season two. And I think, again, it has to do with, like, the predictions. The When I watched season one, I didn't know what to expect. But as a critic, I'm actually even going to lower the stars to a two um, because of the lack of consequences from season one. It felt like they just discarded everything, especially the jar of pee that they mention a lot. Um and they just started over with brand new problems. And technically, Candace was a problem from season one, but at the very last episode. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I really count that as a season one obstacle he has to overcome. Yeah, uh, I'm also going to drop mine one star to three stars. Um, aside from what you've mentioned, um, which I'd love to talk about more about like the transition from season one to two, but despite how much I like this show, a, a lot of the time the writing is terrible. Um, I think people don't talk like that, <laughs> and and so I'm just gonna drop it down to one. No, I'm dropping it by one, two, three, because <laughs> I know it's so important to our listeners to know what the star number is. You just said one, two, three. <laughs> So which is it, Joe? I have to go. Make a choice. (laughs) So I agree. I think as a critic, I would drop my rating by one as well and make it a three. Because objectively looking at it, I do agree with you, Joe, that the writing was poor. I don't think that it really matched the writing of last season. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially with Joe, where he spent a lot of his his dialogue cursing and being kind of aggressive. And I didn't see that in in him in the first season. Mm -hmm. So... I think as well as like the writing, I think that the characterization was poor. Um, I think that a lot of, especially Love's character, I found hard to buy into. And so that does affect me as a viewer, but more so as a storyteller, if we're going to end with her being a murderer, I think that they need to weave that more into her personality from the start. Mm-hmm. There's there's ways of going about a show where you are creating a character that in the end is going to do something horrible without giving it away. You can still kind of like have a peek at that because up until the very end we've never really seen that in her like we see the private eye and like we we kind of look at that and say oh well she's a wealthy character like maybe that's just in her family like that they look into people and they have this resource but we never really see her true characterization until the end and i think it fell flat Mm -hmm. yeah i agree i think they thought 
they were giving us hints mm-hmm. uh, over like how obsessive she is of Forty and this whole nurturing I need to protect Forty mentality like could result in murder. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't think it was enough for me to be like, oh, I wish I had seen that coming because of these clues. Yeah. It was just like, oh, I'd, I didn't see that coming. Except for the fact that Delilah's dead. And yeah. it wasn't Joe. So who's left? <laughs> there's this, uh, there's a great line in Gravity Falls that Alex reminded me of recently where they're like, that's not a twist. They just lied to you. <laughs> um, and that's how I, I that's yeah, how I, I felt like... about, um, Detective. <laughs> especially with Alex, you, br- you brought up like how protective she is over 40, but like that's specifically for 40. And then it happen like then it also transfers over to Joe and we learn like, oh, she's just very protective of people that she loves. But yeah, like I don't think the oh, her twin brother who used to be addicted to drugs, she's gonna feel that way about anybody. <laughs> yeah, especially in the end too, with even Forty's characterization. Like yeah. he goes from being, you know, really wrapped up in his sister to becoming really wrapped up in Joe, just like her. Mm-hmm. But then in the end, he completely changes his mind in just the course of one episode. Yeah, I felt when he like got deep on the free Dr. Nikki subreddit and like <laughs> went to visit Dr. Nikki and like clear his name and then like in the next episode tries to shoot Joe. I was like, where did that come from? Like, because Candace comes in and is like, he's lying to you. And he's like, no, no, he's not. You're crazy. And then as soon as she leaves, he's like, but what if? (laughs) And then goes very gung-ho. I would have preferred that same mentality that the boy had in season one Mm. of, well, Joe protected me in this way. So whatever reason he has for capturing Beck has to be justified because that's the perspective I have of Joe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could see that could have been the case where Joe like nurtures Forty, even if it's for the sake of getting with love. Um, but Forty not getting any sort of love or attention from his parents sees it through Joe and will justify all of Joe's actions. Mm-hmm. I think I would have preferred that direction where even if Forty did the killing rather yeah. than love, I think that would have been more... Not necessarily interesting, but more on point with the, um, I guess, the theme. Yeah, mm-hmm. I totally agree with you, especially with his, like, quote-unquote background of having killed that woman who was, you know, trying to take advantage of him, of him as a young kid. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would have been a more deep, like, characterization of him or a storyline of him where he didn't really do that, but he thinks he did. And then now he's doing it again to protect someone else he loves. Like, that makes more sense to me than love doing it, I guess, just from mm-hmm. what we've seen. Yeah. Is, um, I know you said it was very different, but is the female, uh, love interest in the book's name also love? So, yes, okay. but, um, and, and again, I didn't finish reading it, unfortunately, but, um, the start of the novel doesn't involve Candace at all. And okay. The, and so instead of running away from his past, which I guess he's still kind of doing, he's running to Los Angeles to chase a woman who he was in, he became involved with after Beck. Oh. And her name was Amy, Amy Adams. So mm. he, he travels to L.A. to find her, um, and he does, and that's when he gets involved in, like, Henderson and Love and, like, all of those different characters. And so I, I wonder why they made that kind of change for Netflix, because... Yeah. To me, that storyline made sense, too. So mm-hmm. I wonder why they tried to involve Candace again. 
Um, I was interested in all of the new characters that were introduced. We talked about Love. We talked about Forty. We've mentioned Henderson, the comedian that's also happens to be a pedophile. Um, <laughs> and then there's also Ellie and Delilah, mm-hmm. who I was interested in because the show consistently does this thing where like well joe can't be all bad because at least he cares about kids and i I find that that's an interesting justification that either the show or the book tries to weave in over and over again like well let me remind you that he's not all bad to sort of Mm -hmm. help us see from his perspective again and hopefully it doesn't work but i recognize why it might for some people Mm-hmm. I think it's just um, because he's the protagonist, you have... Like, if, if you absolutely hate him, uh, you're not going to want to watch. So I think they just have to give him uh, something to be like, see? Like, see how he's kind of a good guy? Um, they really made him Dexter in this season, though. Yeah, that's what you just reminded me of, mm-hmm. was how Dexter, you know, goes after people who are, I don't know, just villains in general. But... Um, I think one thing that they do a good job of is showing how, in this, at least in this season, of showing how his past has impacted his future. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said in like the prediction that I had made, like I, I was hoping they would go more into his own past. And um, we see how, like as a young kid, he experienced all of this tragedy and trauma and abuse, and now he looks for other kids like that he sees himself in. So he sees mm-hmm. himself in Ellie. And so I think that that, helps his character a little bit but i do think like that's it right like he's still a murderer Mm -hmm. and but i I do think it's important in terms of like multi-dimensional characters that he's not amoral he's moral but his morals are different than all of ours (laughs) right um and i do think that's something that's interesting to explore um i think while we're kind of talking about this i think everyone he kills in this season was more so along the lines of, like, how we would have felt justified. Like, in season one, he kills Peach because he feels Peach is, like, trying to steal Beck from him. So he thinks it's justified, but everyone... I feel like the average watcher would disagree. But in this season, I feel like every time Joe kills someone, it's either they're trying to kill him or they happen to be a pedophile. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I, I was interested in this plot of Joe being, like... So that I don't have a Beck situation again, I'm going to try to rein it in and try mm. to be more moral. And in the very first episode, he has someone boxed in a, in a little glass container. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that he's trying to be better, but is doing the exact same thing that he was doing before. Mm-hmm. But not killing him. Yeah. <laughs> Just like with Delilah. Like, he was going to let her go and have her, like, mm-hmm. go back to Ali, and he was going to remove himself from that situation. But then we see, like, the sharp contrast of, like, then love comes in and just does this, like, crazy killing, like, mm-hmm. out of nowhere. And so, like, while we've seen all of Joe's murders this season, to be, like, a little bit, like, we're fine with it. Like, I guess that makes sense on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, like, that killing is just out of the blue. Like, yeah. no one can agree with that. Even Joe himself. If we're going to jump to the ending, I was pretty upset that Joe didn't fall in love more with love's crazy side. Like, I wanted Joe to be like, finally, someone just like me. We can kill together. We're soulmates. I, uh, 
I, I appreciated the idea of him seeing someone else do it and being like, that's fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but not realize It was funny. I, it, yeah. it worked on a comedic level, mm-hmm. but in terms of storytelling, I was like, no, Joe, fall <laughs> in love with her. Well, I think I think it, it can make sense, like especially since he has this new perspective of like, I'm trying to be better, even though his idea of better is, no, I just handcuffed them to a desk in a box <laughs> in a storage facility, but they're still alive, and I'm gonna let them out. So I think the fact that she is now like, no, I get it. Like, sometimes you have to kill people for the people that you love. He's like, no, I'm trying this new, like, <laughs> like uh, self-reflection thing, and it's not really, like, with my vibe right now. So. I think that's just the thing, though, is, like, her killing impacted Ellie so much. And I think mm. that that's... Because at first when I watched it, I was definitely on your side, Alex, where I was like, that is stupid. Like, they are exactly the same. He should just be fine with it. And I didn't quite understand it, but then I rewatched it. And I was like, well, the problem here is that he sees himself in Ellie and was trying to protect her. He didn't want her to be the same as him where she's put into the system, you know. And now Love, the one who he's been trying to, like, change himself for, has done something that directly impacted Ellie, and he can't get past that. Like, right. that's unforgivable to him at this point. And, mm-hmm. and I do think, I, I may have misspoken when I say, like, for storytelling purposes, I do think it's consistent, because at the end of the day, he was in love with the pedestal version of love, mm-hmm. the same way that he was in love with the pedestal version of Beck, and mm-hmm. the pedestal version of Candace. He doesn't fall in love with people, he falls in love with the idea of people. Mm -hmm. So as soon as love kills as well, it's like, oh, no, 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 I must have corrupted you. No, I was always like this. Oh, then I was never in love with you. Yeah, Yeah. no, that's a really valid point, Alex. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I really enjoyed in the last episode when Ellie confronts Joe and he kind of like snaps and is like, yeah, I did kill Hendy. Get over it. He's a weirdo. Like, take my money. And uh, I, ju- I, I think that is sort of to the point that we keep circling around is, like, Joe's quote-unquote redeemable quality is he very much sticks his neck out and cares about children um, because I, th- I think deep down there's an idea of, like, I don't want this kid to end up like me. So I think there is some sort of part of Joe that realizes that he is the bad guy. Right. Even even to the point where when he gets trapped in the glass case because of Candace mm. and he thinks that he killed Delilah, he sits down and is like, well, yeah, if I genuinely killed Delilah, then I am a bad person. Like, that was what I considered the most morally wrong thing to do, and that's why I thought I was going to let her out. But apparently when I'm high on LSD, I was willing to kill her. So I am a bad person. So that's interesting. Hmm. Maybe Joe's not so bad after all. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we were getting at, right? I think so. Uh, yeah. I actually tweeted out, like, Joe Goldberg isn't that bad, and only one person liked it because I think everybody thought I was being serious. <laughs> I think I think it might have been me that liked it. <laughs> I think you're right. Because I remember, I remember seeing that. I was like, now that's funny. <laughs> The issue is there are a lot of people who have mm-hmm. that perspective because of that toxicness of how handsome he is, mm-hmm. which I think we can talk about in our second half. 
fellas, are you getting to that age where, you know, you might want to fool around, but physically you just can't anymore? I'm sure you've heard of prescribed medications like Viagra and Cialis. Or even non-prescribed medications like Blue Chew. Well, we have come up with something even faster activating than Blue Chew. Red Gusher. Red Gusher has a liquid center, so it is even faster acting than the chewable Blue Chew. So fast acting that four out of five doctors claim that it's dangerous to use. And because it's so fast acting, it will only work for two to three minutes. If erections persist for longer than four minutes, please consult a doctor. Red Gusher. Go to your local CVS today. (laughs) Boy, oh boy, I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready to go out and purchase those goods or services. Yum, yum. Um, so, uh, during the break, we were talking about the episode where Joe goes to an improv show, and Amanda, there was one quote in particular that you pointed out. Yeah, I think it's Joe who says, I'd rather watch a cat massacre. <laughs> <laughs> Which may or may not be a reference to another Netflix documentary. Oh, yeah. Ah. Uh, don't fuck with cats. Don't fuck with yeah. cats. Which... It's such a... F- don't watch it, you guys. No. Uh, no one should watch it. It was... Oh, I've been suggesting it to everybody. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's right up your alley, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just separates our morality. I guess. Look, it, we should have a different episode about that. <laughs> but that... It's crazy. It's so crazy. Uh, but I did want to talk a little bit about improv because the things that they make fun of in that episode are real. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of bad improv shows in the world, and it's... (laughs) You really have to accept certain conditions before you can enjoy improv. Mm -hmm. Oh, these are just a bunch of adults playing make-believe. Now I can enjoy it. (laughs) If you're going for, like, a theatrical performance, I'm sorry, that's not what you're gonna get. (laughs) Uh, so the make-believe thing made me uh, remember this. So we had a stand-up comedy show at Serious Comedy, and one of the performers brought up how he wants to do a beefcake calendar, but for, like, old geeks, like middle-aged geeks. And that reminded me, when I was in college, I wanted to do a beefcake calendar with the improv group, but just pantomime everything. <laughs> so, like, we're shirtless and, like, dressed like firemen, but we don't have any of, like, the stuff. <laughs> so you just have to guess what we're doing. If you set up, like, one of those GoFundMes, <laughs> I will be the first to donate. Yeah. <laughs> well, then, do you? <laughs> do I have an offer for you? <laughs> Um, but Amanda, when, when you watch that episode, you have some improv background, you know Joe and me, and you've seen a lot of shows. Um, what did you think of that episode? Um, I don't know. Like, sometimes improv can be very uncomfortable for viewers, like, if it's not done well. Like, even during that, I was kind of cringing at the, yes, and, and I really <laughs> didn't enjoy it. But at the same time, like... You, like you said, you have to kind of go in with this open mind because these people are getting up on stage and they're very like vulnerable and um, just there to entertain. And I think if you look at it with that lens and um, just kind of like open yourself to it, it can be such a fun experience. Yeah, there was a, a student in our current 101 class that mentioned she's taking this 101 class because she's had 
a lot of background and her childhood is filled with like listening to comedians and when she listens to comedians talk about their history a lot of them talk about having an improv background so like it's kind of a a major stepping stone for the entertainment industry Mm -hmm. and i'm totally okay with people making fun of it, especially when they do it in BoJack Horseman. Oh, yeah. yeah. They do the whole cult thing. Like, you just got probed. <laughs> I say that mm-hmm. all the time now. Yeah, that's one of my favorite phrases. Um, yeah, so I, I agree. I, Hannah texted me about Joe saying all that stuff about improv, and off the bat, I was like, that's messed up. Like, I, I made a comment. I was like, I bet the writer just got kicked off their college improv team, and that's why they didn't, they don't like improv now. But um, once I watched it, I was like, no, that makes sense. That's pretty fair. Like, all, everything he's saying, like... Could, it could be an outcome of yeah. an improv show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but our broad topic has nothing to do with this. <laughs> uh, I really wanted to get into comparing uh, toxic and healthy relationships, whether that be movies, TV shows, or just general real life. I think that movies romanticize romance to a point where people think that this is what relationships should be, and if that's really what they think, it's toxic. Mm -hmm. Phrases like, you complete me, or I couldn't live without you. Like, that, that sentiment, a lot of people are like, oh, I wish I had love like that. But no, you don't. That's, that's really unhealthy. Because <laughs> then you get locked in a box. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> something that came up a couple years ago when um, Academy Award winning Suicide Squad first graced the silver screen um, was in the trailer the depiction of the Joker and Harley. And that just got everyone back on the Joker-Harley train. Um, and then there was an equal number of people saying, no, the whole point of their relationship is that it's abusive. Don't make a meme that says, I want the Joker and Harley Quinn love, because that's bad. Yeah, I remember seeing, like, a lot of Halloween costumes of, like, couples dressed up like them and, like, shirts even that say, like, I'm the Harley to his Joker. It's just really painful to look at. (laughs) It's like, oh, no, are you okay? (laughs) Do you need help? (laughs) Um, Maybe I should make shirts that say, I'm the love to his show. (laughs) I'm the wolf to his... Love? (laughs) (laughs) Hannah and I have a joke where um, we want to get those shirts, but the things don't match. So, like, his mini, her Goku. (laughs) (laughs) I want that so bad. Oh, that's good. Uh, Thinking of the Academy Award winning for Best Costume, Suicide Squad, one scene that I really liked was Harley, like, falling backwards into, like, I don't know, uh, uh, chemicals. chemicals. at the Ace Chemical plant. Yeah, and she's like, you'll save me if you really love me, and she falls in, and Joker's like, God damn it, this woman, yeah. <laughs> and jumps in, and I was like, "Oh, he does love her. <laughs> you <And> do care. <laughs> and that's also the wrong thing to, to take out of that, but I did think it was fun and interesting, because Harley... In that uh, depiction of her, despite being obsessive over Joker, is still a 
pretty strong and independent person. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to see that, like, contrast. But there are a lot of less hero-based relationships that are still very toxic, like... uh, Mm -hmm. One that I think of a lot is Ross and Rachel from Friends. Oh, yeah. They're always on again, off again. When they see the other one, like, start to become happy, the other immediately starts sabotaging that relationship. And it's great for comedy, but it's not a relationship goal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think a lot of uh, Rachel making one of Ross's girlfriends shave her head. And uh, Ross being like, why'd you do this? Which is funny twofold because she was sabotaging the relationship, but also he couldn't get over a bald head. So clearly mm-hmm. he didn't like her that much. <laughs> <laughs> he only liked me for my hair. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny that you brought that up because um, Steph and I, like just before we started recording, we were talking about how... Um, she thinks that like sometimes these off again on again relationships would have just been better if instead they had just been best friends because then mm. you would have had all of the good parts of that relationship without the like attachment and the breaking off and the you know being mad or trying to manipulate each other um and Do i just think, think that's Steph funny is gonna break up with me <laughs> maybe I she thinks she better <laughs> off as friends <laughs> um but i think that's funny because the show is titled friends and they're all such good mm-hmm. friends but that ross and rachel's relationship really puts everybody in a bad spot from time to time yeah um in the last season of broad city abby tells alana that she's moving and the two of them have this conversation where they both realize that they're codependent on each other and they're they're just best friends but they do have that dynamic of still i guess somewhat of a toxic relationship because they're saying things like i don't know who i am when you're not around and so uh, you do get the hijinks without the on again off again stuff but that that still has the potential um like for toxicity i guess right and uh i think that comes down to like the whole romanticize romanticization of relationships whether they be friendships or romantic relationships or even like father daughter or father son or mother daughter mother son but this sense of i need you for me to be complete Mm -hmm. and that's like a sentiment again that like a lot of people think that they're striving for Mm -hmm. um i saw a really good list of comparing trauma-based bonding versus, like, healthy bonding because a lot of people, because of their trauma, find different ways to cope with it through their relationships. And so it mentions things like when you seek your partner to fix you, save you, or validate your existence, that's not a good thing. Rather, you should be asking them to, like, learn from you and you can learn from them. I want to be seen by you and I want to see you Um, and I want to, like, hold space for all of you and vice versa. And I think that's really interesting when you hear all of this list because a lot of people think of the trauma-based relationships as good things. Mm -hmm. One thing that you just reminded me of was I've been kind of struggling in my head with trying to determine whether or not love and Joe are healthy or toxic, Because they do really seem to accept each other for their faults. They see each other very clearly. Um, I don't see, like, any judgment there. They're supportive. And, like, they can really be their true selves around each other. 
And to me, like, that's what a healthy relationship is. But at the same time, we have these, like, very damaged people who do damaging things with each other. And so I don't know. I'm, like, stuck in the middle about where they are. And I think especially toward the end, like, they kind of fall apart. And so I'm like, were they really ever healthy to begin (laughs) with? I don't know. (laughs) I think in their, like, heightened reality, they're healthy for all the reasons that you said. Um... But I think there's the the missing piece of I love you despite your flaws and I'm going to let you have those flaws rather than like, let's see, um, like, let's work on it together. Uh, this is a very broad term. Joe's a murderer. I meant like, let's work on like not murdering together. <laughs> um, so that that's, I think, the missing piece of them being healthy is is I, I love you, even though you, you kill people because you kill for me. But let's not kill anymore. I think I think if they did that. Yeah, like they're then, so close. To yeah. <laughs> if they just wouldn't murder. Because Joe has this mentality. One of the other contrasts are you complete me versus you enhance who I already am. Uh, Joe has this mentality of love is changing me for the better or love is helping me be my best self. And that's great. But like we talked about in the first half, Joe puts love on a pedestal and is in love with the idea of love. Mm-hmm. He, he's not in love with love because as soon as she reveals herself, he's like, ooh, I'm gonna, ooh hang out with the neighbor. <laughs> Howdy, neighbor. <laughs> so on the whole, yes, very healthy relationship. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, at the end of the day, like, trust is a really big one. Mm-hmm. If you have to check on your partner's social media or if you have to check your partner's texts that's mm-hmm. probably not a healthy relationship if you have to mm-hmm. break into their apartment and look through their laptop probably not mm-hmm. a good relationship probably not <laughs> when your partner experiences some sort of achievement are you happy for them or do you start suddenly feeling insecure or and or jealous of them that's a big one as well and i think there's a major difference between supportive and obsessive I think Joe's obsessive. Mm. A little bit. Yeah. Not not bad. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) uh, on average, really, is what I would say. Like, we're all... He's no more obsessive than, you know, these millennials and their Instagram, am I right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. These millennials. Really, it's someone's fault if they're getting stalked. Exactly. Because, like, you put that information out there. You were asking for it. Which you can learn to protect yourself from in our first You episode. (laughs) Yeah, and I I think, um, to backtrack a little bit on the flaw thing that I was saying, I think there's also a, a point of, again, if it's not murderings people (laughs) but then an idea of this isn't a flaw this is part of who you are and so learning to accept and live with that again if it's not murdering people (laughs) a a huge difference between love you despite your flaws versus Mm -hmm. love you because of your flaws or Mm -hmm. even just i love all of you including your flaws right and i think in addition to this it's acceptance without like excusing or or saying like oh it's okay like we'll just forget about it Mm -hmm. because there's one line in the show that says um, it's where Love is kind of explaining her past and what she's been through and how she did kill uh, 40s, that woman or whatever. Babysitter. But, yeah, the babysitter, I guess. But 
She says that sensitive people do bad things when put in dangerous relationships. And so she's using that as, like, an excuse for Joe that, like, he's mm-hmm. just too sensitive and that's why he has the bad past that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not really acceptance, right? That's kind of trying to get rid of, like, ex- making excuses for your mistakes or trying right. to see past them. And like you said, almost like putting him on a pedestal. She's kind of doing the same thing for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a really famous movie. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's called The Notebook. Oh, I think no. I've heard of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Do you mean Sausage Party? Because <laughs> I've seen that movie. They're pretty similar. Okay. Uh, but a lot of people refer to The Notebook as one of the most romantic romances or romance movies out there. And Ali and Noah are horrifically <laughs> toxic for mm-hmm. each other. Like, yeah. he obsesses over this summer fling that they had once and builds a house without, like, getting to know her as she becomes a completely, probably different woman because who you are in high school is not who you Mm -hmm. are as an adult. (laughs) And just obsesses over this pedestal version of Allie. Uh, But uh, uh, Noah's so freaking hot. He's so, he's (laughs) too hot. When he's building that house, even Mm. though he's got a mullet, I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. Um, but no, he totally great Gatsby's her, which I think we see in the show, too. <laughs> you like, oh, you said as a verb. <laughs> I will say great Gatsby, not a toxic relationship. I thought he was making all the right moves. <laughs> way hotter than Noah. Like, I could totally get on that crazy train. <laughs> Plus all of his money. Oh, yeah, that's what I love about him. <laughs> that's what I meant. <laughs> we would have the healthiest of relationships. Yeah. <laughs> um... The, the last toxic relationship I can think of, and I do want to get into healthy relationships mm-hmm. in case you're looking for some role models out there, Bella and Edward from oh the God. Twilight series. Mm-hmm. God, they love each other so much that without each other, they will literally die. Like 100% yeah. literally die. Yeah, I mean, that's such like that teenage mindset, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like Romeo and Juliet. We're like, we can't be together, and so the world is over. Like... <laughs> Can um, confirm. I yeah. remember reading that book in middle school and being like, oh my gosh, like they really care about each other. Like, <laughs> yeah. wow, is this what it'll be one day? Like for <laughs> me, when I find my sparkly vampire boyfriend. <laughs> so how is Nick? <laughs> Great, thanks. Thanks for asking. <laughs> it's very cloudy today, so he's probably, he's probably having a good day. Yep. <laughs> probably playing baseball or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not to mention that that relationship is toxic from the beginning because Edward, like, wants to vomit as soon as he sees her. Do you remember that? Part? I love that scene. <laughs> he, hey, you guys, he does not want to vomit. He wants to devour her. Totally different <laughs> and much healthier. You're right. <laughs> and the fact that he doesn't devour her yeah. It just is a testament to how much, that's he how much loves he loves her. her. He wants to protect her. Exactly. Yeah. Not like that jerk Jacob. 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 Yeah, put a shirt on Jacob. Yeah, and what's with the jorts? <laughs> Do <laughs> the jorts regenerate? I don't get it. Okay, so if you don't actually know, they all of the werewolves wear <laughs> like an anklet thing where they put their jorts into before they transform. So, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> this is in the book and not in the movie. <laughs> Oh my god, wait, actually, I, I do not remember that. That's awesome. That's why they have them. Oh, that's so spectacular. I'm going to have to that's reread so fun. the series. Uh, <laughs> just so you guys know. No, I, thank uh, you for telling me. That's... <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, doesn't uh, doesn't Bella just leave her entire life for him? Yeah, but her life wasn't really going anywhere anyway. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to get into some healthy relationships that we all really want to look up to to like understand and recognize. They are portrayed well in some forms of media. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of Dre and Rainbow from Blackish. They're a very supportive parents. Like one of the things that people like about the show is the relationships that the parents have with each other and the kids have with the parents and the kids have with each other, all of those chemistries are seem very authentic. Um, Dre and Rainbow happen to be parents that genuinely co-parent, and they use each other as soundboards, and they vent to each other and, like, really help each other figure out what to do next when they're faced with an obstacle that has to do with their career or their kids or anything like that. And it's it's good. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of uh, Bob and Linda Belcher from um, Bob's Burgers. And it's cool to see, um, you know, especially when the other sort of animated family shows are The Simpsons and Family Guy, um, where the relationship isn't this strong. But Bob and Linda have been together for a long time. They raise these three kids. They work together. Um, and they still do genuinely enjoy each other's company. Mm-hmm. Um, and they definitely get on each other's nerves sometimes. But that doesn't mean that they don't love each other at the end of the day. Um, and I think they're they're one of the best TV couples out there. I love them so much. I just watched uh, Bob go to his first dance with oh, yeah. Linda. And... Um, <laughs> Tina doesn't even go to that dance. She goes to another one, and he's like, wait, we're uh, chaperoning a dance that Tina isn't even going to? (laughs) We're going for you, Bobby. (laughs) I really wish you weren't. (laughs) Fine, but I'm going to complain the whole time. (laughs) Deal! (laughs) Yeah, like, that's nice, because it's just so realistic, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of, especially, like, the cartoon shows don't feature relationships like that that seem really authentic or um, positive. Like, in thinking about other cartoon shows that I watch, like BoJack Horseman, I can't mm. think of one healthy relationship <laughs> in that show. <laughs> I do think that the premise of that show is yeah, unhealthy yeah. relationships. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there are a lot of cartoon movies that have mm. really uh, great couples in them that we can look up to, just like the movie Up <laughs> with Carl and Ellie. When we see them together, even from kids, like even though they're so different, they really complement each other really well, and they build this wonderful life together, and they don't, like, not everything is positive, but they make it through together, and I think in that movie, that scene must only be a few minutes long, but even in that scene, um, you can see how much they truly love each other, yeah, and I think and that's true for Finding Nemo, too, right? Like, at the beginning, I think mm. that, that that couple is really healthy at the start before, I think it's like a barracuda that comes in. Mm-hmm. Fucking barracudas. Ooh, Every time. Barracuda. One thing I really <laughs> like about uh, the up couple is that they don't try to change the each up-ble. other. <laughs> no. Okay. The up couple. Okay. <laughs> um, they don't try to change each other. One of them is somewhat introverted. The other one's very extroverted. But they find things that they can like together. Mm-hmm. And then they also just have things that they do separately. Um, I read a post that was making fun of the concept of the Adams family that was like the Adams family was created to contrast the white picket fence uh two and a half 
family dynamic. And one of the ways that they contrast is by making the parents love each other. Oh, wow. (laughs) And so Morticia and Gomez Adams are also a healthy couple Mm -hmm. you can look up to. Yeah, I I know we're talking about healthy couples now, but I never thought of that. Um, The Honeymooners, which is largely seen as like the framework for the modern sitcom, the main joke is that the husband is going to beat his wife so hard (laughs) that she's going to land on the moon. (laughs) (laughs) One of these days. (laughs) Um, so that's funny that they were like, okay, they wear black, their house is creepy, they like each other. <laughs> uh, what else? What else? Don't they also have, like, an awesome sex life? Yeah, like, they're really, like, healthy. super intimate with each other, and, like, I think, like, Morticia kind of, like, takes control a lot of the time, so that is very opposite a lot of the, like... White, like you said, the white picket fence, like tra- traditional couple in a show. Yeah, I think sexually liberated was another way ah. to contrast the white picket fence mentality. Yeah, I'd like to think that Lucy and uh, oh yeah, Ricky Ricardo, Ricky Ricardo have a good relationship, but I haven't seen that show recent enough to. I think they do. I would I would say that that's mm-hmm. for the most part pretty healthy. Tell us, viewers. Yeah. If any of you viewers watch I Love Lucy. Right in. If there's any big Lucy heads out there. <laughs> Just send us a message on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. UPS. Smoke signal. Beeper. Pigeon. <laughs> Get a tattoo and hope we run into you. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Please tune in next time when we talk about John Tucker Must Die. If you liked us, find us on Twitter and Instagram at 2 underscore bald men or 2baldmenpodcast.com. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you all again. And if you were driving, we hope you got to your destination safely and on time. <laughs>